Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the Smarts and Stripes podcast. We cover every bump, every spot, and chat with all the talent around the world of wrestling. Here's your host, Bill Matz, former WWE referee Kevin Keenan, and Eric Golden. What's going on, everyone? Come on in. Sit down and enjoy some Smarks and Stripes. Former WWE referee Kevin Keenan flying solo on the host side today. WWE Elimination Chamber, the final stop on the road to WrestleMania this Sunday night, live and only on the WWE Network from the Wells Fargo Center in Philadelphia. And then in just under a month, the man sitting right across from me steps into the Raymond James Stadium in Tampa, Florida in the main event of WrestleMania for the WWE title taking on Brock Lesnar. He's a Scottish psychopath. He's a longtime friend of mine. He's a 2020 Royal Rumble winner. He's Drew McIntyre. Drew, brother man, long time no see. Very long time. It was a very pleasant surprise to see you when I arrived. It's funny. Whenever uh, whenever you know guys come in that we work with and stuff like that, they have no idea uh, that I'm in radio now. And when I pop out like I do, I usually get the surprise surprise look that you gave me. Yeah, yeah. They have no Walk idea. Walk me out more than this coffee. I'm just <laughs> It's funny, you know, we're going to get into this here in just a little bit, but it just dawned on me the other day. You know, we used to do the bar show yes, we did. in Newport Ritchie every single Wednesday night yeah. in front of Bourbon Street, z- in front of zero people, next to zero people, Bourbon Street. Zero people. There was that one guy who had an oxygen <laughs> tank beside him and only remove his mask to smoke. That's correct. Um, but just a few miles down the road and a few towns over, here you are getting ready to challenge for the WWE title against Brock Lesnar at WrestleMania in Tampa, a city, a city that has... A ton of significance to us, but we're going to get into that uh, in just a second. Let's start the, uh, this past Monday night on Raw. Uh, Barclays Center, Brooklyn, New York. Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar start the show. They come out and basically say that the company wants them to sell the WWE Universe on Drew McIntyre. And they say they're not really going to do that. And here you, they start to run you down. Here you come. Not one, not two, but three Claymore kicks to the WWE Champion. Describe the feeling in the, in the Barclays Center when that happened. And you stood over Brock Lesnar with the WWE title held up high. I don't know if there is a word to describe it. Adrenaline overload is certainly one way to, to put it. It's interesting the way they approach it. Generally, with Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar, Heyman would build up the opponent, Brock kills the opponent, and that's how matches are generally built. But to have him kind of run me down a little bit, to go out and face Lesnar and actually put Lesnar down, and I don't think anyone's ever done that before and do it three times in a row, is a pretty crazy feeling. It also tells me they're a little bit worried if Heyman's taking the time to kind of put me down and <laughs> his facial expression when I came out, you know, really sold it in the way Brock 
uh, was reacting after the kicks. You know, I think we're off to heck of a final few weeks before WrestleMania. It really, uh, it really did come across on TV. You know, Tom Phillips is a very good friend of mine. I texted him on Tuesday, and I said, what was the energy like in that building? Because it really came across. He said it was just absolutely hot. He said it was just unbelievable. So I was really happy, happy to see that. Let's go back to January. Uh, January 26th, Houston, Texas, Minute Maid Park, obviously the Royal Rumble. You enter at number 16, ultimately becoming the winner where you eliminate Roman Reigns. Take me into that moment, Drew. Take me into the ring. Uh, your journey at that point uh, was definitely on an upswing, but the wave that was your career certainly did have uh, some ups and downs. Oh, yes. Tell me the feeling when you saw Roman go over the top, both feet hit the floor, and you heard the bell ring. You know, Tell me what you're feeling. Um, I mean, I didn't believe I was actually going to win until his feet touched the ground. Um, but when I was down to myself and Roman and I was still riding a high from the adrenaline of putting Lesnar out and hearing the way the crowd reacted to that. And uh, when Roman's feet hit the ground and 40,000 people lost their mind, you know, it can go one of three ways. They can either cheer, they can boo, or they can, even worse, be silent. Mm -hmm. And the 40,000 people cheered. And then every wave of emotion that you talk about, the ups and the downs all waved through, rushed through me. And in that moment, if you see an image of me, um, after the match, I literally lose the power to walk and fall to my knees and have a huge wave of emotion going over me, thinking about the people that have been through all the ups and downs with me, like my wife and my family and stuff, and they persevered, and the people that believed in me this whole time, and the hard work I put in all led to that very moment, and I didn't believe it literally until it happened, and I lost the power to walk. <laughs> so we're on the road to Tampa, Florida here. Now, Tampa, Florida is a city that holds a lot of meaning to us, and I mean— Absolutely. How many times did we drive up and down Del Mabry past Raymond James Stadium? Um, in just under a month, main event, Brock Lesnar, WrestleMania, WWE title in that same building. In a city that holds such significance uh, to us, does it get lost on you at all the road you had to take, uh, specifically through Tampa and FCW, just to come back in main event in Tampa of all places? No. I think about it all the time now. I didn't think about this stuff when I was younger, but it's full circle. I still live in uh, the Florida area, uh, in St. Pete, just right 20 minutes from the stadium. And this is my American hometown. I've been living there for over a third of my life. And the fact that we've come full circle. I was watching The Lion King last night, actually. Speaking of circles. <laughs> I haven't circle seen it yet. I, start, I started to watch it the other night, but it was two hours. I couldn't do it. Yeah, I mean, it's the same as the original. Like, the uh, kid who was meant to be king and then got <laughs> tossed to the wasteland, had to figure himself out and came back and became king. You know, as if I was watching it, I was that's pretty interesting. I wonder if I can use some kind of Lion King metaphor in one of these promos coming up with yeah. Brock. But, uh, yeah, that's the thing. It's full circle. Like, started there, came back around, and, you know, WrestleMania brought Lesnar WWE title, my first ever WWE title shot ever. I couldn't have written it any better. Let's talk about FCW for a second. Of course, following the Elimination Chamber this Sunday, live and only on the WWE Network, the FCW documentary, The Future of WWE, the FCW Story. I always say for me, you know, OVW and FCW was my college, and then the main roster was the real world. But you coming into FCW all, uh, after a short stint on the main roster, were you better off long-term, do you think, because of the year and a half or so you spent in FCW? Well, Absolutely. I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> um, I think you were there when I got to OVW. I literally I can remember when you walked in the door. fastest person ever on TV from developmental, I believe, after three weeks. we just Paul London held the previous record. What was that? Two and a half, three weeks, yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah, because yeah, I remember like, they had the uh, agents and writers or whatever that were there. I guess they came once every six months. Mm -hmm. I just happened to be there, needed a body in the ring with Bam Neely, it might have been. 
So I, I just <laughs> rolled around with Bam for a bit. They asked me to cut a promo, cut a promo. I never thought anything of it. Suddenly, Al Snow is telling me Howard Finkel's on the phone for you. So Howard <laughs> used to call us back in the day. So this is Howard Finkel with the World Wrestling Federation. I was like, yes, uh, Howard Finkel. That's remember? clearly you. Yes. And, uh, you know, brought me to TV. My first match, I think, was with Zack Ryder. Um, Sounds about right. So it was Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins back to back. And I had a hold on. I remember the referee telling me to work the hard camera. And I turned to him and asked, what the hell is a hard camera? <laughs> Which is the main camera you're supposed to look in. So you see the millions of people at home. I had no idea what it was. And my back turned to it. And uh, yes, I needed to, to get to FCW, to developmental, to learn how to perform on TV. What do you remember most about FCW? We had a lot of good times down there. Any good stories that come to mind? It was just crazy. It was awesome. It was, like, you say it was like college. I yeah. think I had more fun in FCW than I did in my actual college. Like, <laughs> Scottish colleges aren't fun like American ones. Right. So most of the time I was there, if I was even at class, because I was already wrestling the whole time, just trying to make it to WWE. Passed all my exams, got my degree. Um, but yeah, we were, you know, we worked hard at FCW, and then we worked hard in the bar <laughs> afterwards. We certainly worked hard in the bar. Guys, don't forget, WWE Elimination Chamber this Sunday live and only on the WWE Network, the final stop on the road to WrestleMania, live from the Wells Fargo Center. Uh, in 2009, Drew, you were take, once again taken back out of developmental and put back out on the main roster, but this time was different. This time you were deemed the chosen one by Vince McMahon himself. Uh, a run with the Intercontinental title would take place here. When you look back on that time and you look at the situation you're in now, do you feel more like the chosen one then or the chosen one now? Um... I mean, back then, he certainly had some big aspirations for me, and I was very confident in myself. But truthfully, looking back, I wasn't ready for all that responsibility. So it's not just what you can do in the ring. There's sure. multiple um, things you have to take care of outside the ring, including you know, the media like we're doing mm -hmm. right now, be able to conduct yourself properly. And I just wasn't ready for all that pressure at that age. I let that opportunity slip away, and um, I had to fall very far to build myself back up and become the you know, superstar, and not, not, I was a boy then, basically, I'm a man now, mm -hmm. that I am today, and I don't feel like I'm a chosen one by the office as such, I feel like I'm just the guy who's earned this opportunity, and if I'm chosen by anyone, I'd rather be the fans than anyone in the office. Uh, you mentioned having to fall down just to get back up, June 12th, 2014, a day I'm sure you remember well, I remember January 10th, 2009, uh, the day we both got a call that we were being released from the company. Oh, yeah. uh, for me, there wasn't a worse feeling in the world, I, I can remember exactly where I was, uh, Johnny Curtis Fandango sitting in the living room having to tell him that I'm moving out and going back to Philadelphia. He's uh, told me that story many times. <laughs> <laughs> I think Heath moved into my room, actually. I'm not totally sure. Yeah, yeah. That was... He's told that story many times. Sober and drunk, I think he's told me at least 20 times. <laughs> <laughs> Did you decide uh, right then and there that you were going to reinvent yourself and become a bigger star and you will be back? Or was there some doubt initially? Um, I mean, looking back, uh, I guess... Like, uh, I'm very good at kind of blocking out negative things that have happened in my life. I don't remember them very clearly. Mm -hmm. And we've been filming some stuff recently talking about that period. And uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she's been filling in some blanks. I assumed that I instantly said, that's cool, guys. Thanks. And right. It went right on to the next thing. Sure. But as we talked about it on camera, she started kind of reminding me of what was going through my head at the time. Um, and turns out I did have a lot of, like, doubt and worry. Um, and I started remembering it a little bit clearer. So I got the call. I was a bit shocked because 3MB were on everything mm -hmm. at the time, all the TVs, all the live events, all the tours. And once I got off the phone, I thought, right, okay, I need to think of the next step. And I called ICW in Scotland, the promoter I'm friends with, and told him I want to come to Scotland and give out my mission statement. You did that almost like a week later, if I remember correctly. Uh, it was three weeks exactly. Three weeks, yeah. yeah, yeah. So he told me, like, I know you can't 
come to this show, it's pretty soon, but uh, it'd be cool if you come soon. I said, no, that's what I want to do. I want to come over. I want to get a mission statement out. And I hid in my dad's house for two weeks, basically, with the blinds <laughs> closed so nobody could see me in Scotland. And we snuck me into the building. The BBC were filming a documentary at the time. Kind of covered the whole thing. So it was a kind of big deal. But behind closed doors with the missus, like, she remembers. And now I remember, like, how much I was worried. I was like, well, I'm going to say a lot of big things here. Like, mm-hmm. I believe in myself. I believe I can be the number one guy in wrestling, not just one of the guys in wrestling. But I'm also the 3MB guy right now. So if I go out and say that, are people just going to laugh or whatever? And she yeah. just said, as long as you believe it, you make them believe. Is basically, she's always been my biggest supporter. And that was the thing as I went along. I wasn't necessarily faking it before I made it, but everything I said when I was out there, I believe. But prior to walking out, I was terrified until more and more people gave me opportunities and platforms to show the real Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre. And that's what happened over the years, thankfully. So you just mentioned hitting the indies uh, right away. And for as much as you and I worked together in the company, we did quite a bit of work. Uh, together on the indies, some of the ones I remember, you versus Austin Aries right here in Philadelphia for Tommy Dreamer, House oh, of Hardcore. Yeah. I remember him trying to chop me. <laughs> I thought, what are you doing, bro? This is going to end bad for you. Yeah, <laughs> poor guy. Um, we did an awesome one in North Carolina for WrestleCade, yourself versus Matt Hardy. Oh, yeah, that was a real where fun one, yeah. I ended up taking both of your guys' finishers. Yes, you did. Oh, God. <laughs> I remember dumping myself on my head from your double underhook and then just being able to come to in time to take Matt's twist of fate. And he stacked me on top of you, stacked the other ref on top of me, and pinned for the three count. Uh, good times. Yeah, 4,000 people. Boy, that was a lot. There was a lot of people. That's always a good event. Um, what did you learn most, Drew, about your time on the indies post-WWE? Uh, just how to be that franchise player. Basically, every lesson I learned in WWE, I couldn't quite figure out. Everything in A, like all the legends I'd been around had told me, all my trainers had told me, that, and it's kind of hard to put it into practice where you're within the system, especially if you're in a comedy gimmick, it's hard to transition into something serious. Everything The Undertaker maybe told me, mm-hmm. like stop playing the wrestler and be the wrestler. It sounded mm-hmm. all like gibberish at the time and I was like, what is he talking about? Try to figure it out. Once I was out of the company, I actually relaxed and things started processing and I started putting all these uh, pieces of advice into practice and the light bulbs started going off left and right. And as I was in the ring, I learned to slow down, I learned to calm down, uh, figure out that the moves aren't what's most important. Is what's between the moves and interacting and connecting with the crowd. And I figured out how to do that as a good guy and a bad guy and uh, lead multiple companies. I think I was a champion of about seven or eight companies <laughs> at once at one point. And the fact that we grew the audiences for every single company, yeah. including Evolve. And then ICW in Scotland went from 1,500 to 2,000 to 4,000. Biggest uh, independent show of all time was over 7,000 people during my time there. And it was pretty cool to know that WWE name sells the product. But Drew Galloway, Drew McIntyre was what was making a difference in all these companies. You mentioned Evolve, and WWE released a piece not too long ago uh, where you were talking about Evolve. Uh, and, you know, talking about Evolve reshaping your career where you said, I wanted to show the world who Evolve was and get the chance to start learning how to be a true main event player and actually get to apply all the lessons that I had learned in WWE but never got the chance to put them into practice. Evolve was my training ground for becoming the Drew McIntyre you know today. Yep. What was it about Evolve that made you confident to be a main event player? Um, I mean, there's lots with Evolve. Um, aside the opportunity to get to talk in the microphone all the time and get comfortable with that, like they had the best in-ring talent mm-hmm. that had been around. Um, I think Chris Hero, Cassius Ono, was a champion at the yeah, time. It's fantastic. There was uh, like guys like Ricochet that no one knew of at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, unless you watched Dragon Gate, and Roderick Strong was there, and Johnny Gargano. Like, the roster was just incredible. And my first night there, I won the title. Mm-hmm. So I was having to main event a show, go on last after 
these guys Those have been guys in the, the craziest yeah. high flyers, the craziest technical wrestlers, the craziest in-ring performers that they have in the world. And I was having to go on last. So I had to figure out how to be different, aside being tall with long hair and whatever. Um, I had to figure out how to keep that crowd's attention, and Evolve allowed me to do that and allowed me that time in the microphone um, you know, to show the world, hopefully, me and who Evolve are. And as I grew, Evolve grew with me. And then WWE developed a relationship with Evolve when I was champion. Mm -hmm. WWE developed a relationship with ICW. When I was champion, I was like, damn, maybe it's time to go back to WWE. <laughs> so that's my next question. So take me through the process. You're on your way back to WWE. Uh, take me through the process of coming back to the company. Who contacted you? How did that come about? Was, was Evolve the, uh, the connection there? Uh, no, my contract uh, with Impact uh, was coming up and my wife and I decided it was time to uh, move on. Like new management was coming in and uh, we'd, you know, the back and forth uh, didn't quite work out. So we mm -hmm. decided, okay, let me take the next step. And I uh, was looking at uh, Japan, to be honest. I spoke to the Bucks about possibly going to New Japan. That's where I wanted to go initially, but there wasn't space at the time. And now that I'd kind of shown the world who I was, there was interest. So that's probably my, my destination until William Regal, who's a mentor of mine, had seen an article mm. online. I believe Mike Johnson, a PW yes. Insider, had written a really cool article yep. about my, my journey. And uh, he said, hey, would you mind taking a phone call from uh, Hunter uh, from Triple H? No, you don't want that. So I was like, absolutely not. Don't be silly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I took the phone call, and we had a really good chat for about 40 minutes. He'd been following what I'd been up to, and was really proud that I'd finally started showing what he and Vince had seen in me all those years ago. And we decided it was time for me to come back. I wanted to go to NXT. That was his plan anyway. I said, if I come back, it has to be NXT, the hardcore audience. They know what I'm about now. And I can be a leader there. And that was his vision too. Also, you know, I wanted to work my way back up. And then uh, that was it as far as I was concerned. I was just like, let's get back into it and finally fulfill this prophecy. Speaking of NXT, you spoke to Sports Illustrated last year. Um, and in that article, it says that you sought out Shawn Michaels and asked to join his class. And you described yes. it as... Uh, as your PhD in wrestling, what are some things that Sean instilled in you that we see in Drew McIntyre today? Ooh, well, the first thing about Sean's class is you don't talk about Sean's class. <laughs> That's the first rule of Sean's class, including the second rule at Fight Club. Um, but yeah, let's just say like uh, the idea of Sean Michaels being a trainer is insane. Like most guys that make it to that level either just aren't in the industry anymore um, or just aren't with us anymore. And the fact that I knew he was a trainer there, I said, if I'm back in NXT, I'm going to go down there and work with him. And my contract allowed me to do whatever I wanted as long as I did the TVs and mm -hmm. the traveling shows. It was a very limited schedule. But I chose to drive the four-hour round trip as many days as Sean was there just to work with him. And being in the class with him, having break things down, it was amazing. Just how he would say something like, why don't you just do this? And I'd be like, because nobody thinks like you. Sean Michael's greatest of all time. And then they'd break um, certain ways that I would sell down just being a bigger guy, you've got to think, like, okay, I, it turns out I am 6'5", and I am 270. Maybe not sound like Shawn Michaels is not the best approach for me. We've got to figure out a better way to do it, and the crowd will respond better, and they'll believe in me more. And He was just able to break down every little thing, and like I say, it was like getting my PhD in wrestling after wrestling 17 years. You can always learn something new. All right, let's break away from wrestling for a quick second here as we start to wind down, Drew. Um, let's peel the curtain back a little bit, so to speak, as if we haven't done so already. Uh, in the very rare spare time Drew McIntyre has, tell the fans, what are some of the things that you enjoy doing? The only thing I like to do is sit on the couch with the cats and the wife, I guess. <laughs> it's my favorite thing to do uh, when I'm not working. Your spare time is your downtime. 
Yeah, like uh, I'm so obsessed, as you know, about uh, with this business. I think about it 24-7. Mm-hmm. She had no interest in it, still to this day, has really no interest in it, except when I'm on screen. <laughs> so when I come home, there's no wrestling talk allowed. So my, my family was the same way. That's great. It's, yeah. it's the only way to keep a balance, because I was so <laughs> out of control. It was not healthy, I guess. It probably was part of my detriment when I was younger, but now... Thanks to her, I've got this healthy balance in my life. When I go home, I can kind of switch off. It's still in the back of my mind because I'm crazy when it comes to wrestling. But like we sit in the couch, we watch our Netflix and whatever, and we don't go out to bars or anything anymore, which might be shocking to you because I used to be a complete psycho. What do you? <laughs> <laughs> There's some stories there. Um, what do you watch on Netflix? What's your favorite show? Uh, whatever the current thing is, everybody's watching. You watch uh, The Stranger? No. The Stranger, is this another one? Highly, re- so many. I highly recommend it. All right. I'm trying to think where we're on right now. I'm not even sure. The one, the favorite one was Penny Dreadful, I think it was called. We watched not long ago. I don't know about that one. Yeah, it was good. But yeah, there's so many we're working through. Uh, two more for you. I need you to settle a debate for me. So when you came to OVW, uh, yourself and Wade Barrett came in right around the same time. You guys yes. didn't have United States driver's license. No. You guys rode around with me. Yes. When I left OVW and went to FCW, you guys hopped in with a very good friend of ours, Josh. Yes. Josh said to me on Twitter yesterday, ask Drew who the better wheelman was. I said to Josh, clearly, it was clearly me. He thinks it was him. I need you to settle a debate. I mean, of course it's you. <laughs> but don't tell him that because he might cry. He, he, he might. He might. Uh, Drew, last one. From where you sit right now, how do you foresee WrestleMania playing out? Um, ideally, Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre last, and Drew McIntyre winning the title, and then another made guy that's going to be on all the live events and TV shows. Uh, with the championship, which I think is very important. I remember the day you walked into OVW. I remember the day you went to the main roster. I remember the day you got pulled from the main roster. I remember the day you came into FCW. I remember you getting let go. I remember our work on the indies. And I remember you going back. I had my moment with Kofi last year. I am very, very much hoping to have the same moment with you this year. I am so proud of you. Congratulations. Best of luck at WrestleMania and beyond. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate that. And it is crazy. Like, we go back so freaking long. Not the time going wrestling, you blink, you lose 12 years. I, al- I always say, uh, you know, time, time between uh, visits gets longer these days, but we always manage to pick up right where we left off. Always. Thank you, brother. Thank you, brother. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.